One more text, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, one of the things as we read this text from Nehemiah 8, we're going to find out one of the reasons why we read what we've just heard read uh, today, just now, and even in the evening services we've been reading through the Bible. Uh, that's one of the things that we're going to see this morning. So we read the text Uh, We don't necessarily always have to have a sermon over the text that's read, but we read the Bible. And now we'll read the Bible for a sermon. And um, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention before we start is I'm very uh, appreciative of the congregation for paying attention to the uh, words in the prayer here on confession. I know that it's a little bit difficult, but I hope it's been a blessing to you to read through it slowly and think about the words of Augustine in years gone by, as he says, and you gently wipe away our tears. And we weep the more for joy, because you, Lord, not man of flesh and blood, but you, Lord, who made us, remake us, and comfort us. If we just read it slowly, even though it's a little bit, a little bit full and rich with commas, It's got some really wonderful truth for us to meditate on as we confess our sin. I want to thank you for for thinking through that as we read. This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man in the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah. And on his right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodai, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, 
Drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The word of the Lord. Uh, We have a wonderful treat to celebrate 506 years later, the day when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door. Um, I, I, I won't get caught up with telling you what some of them were, but let's just put it this way. Bottom line, Martin Luther was declaring to everybody that the Word of God is what is authoritative over all that is. Not the church, not tradition, not man's reason, but God's Word is what dictates to us what we are to believe and how we are to behave. Not to mention, like last night, we had a few words. Not to say the church hasn't learned things and we can't learn from church tradition over the years because certainly we have. But the church tradition doesn't tell us what to do. The Word of God informs us as what we are to think and what we are to believe. The Word of God is the final authority, not the church. The Word of God, where it's read and where it's preached, a church will be formed. People will gather. People will sing. People will worship. Hopefully go through a, a, an order of service like ours. Sola Scriptura was the new cry. Sola Scriptura means Scripture alone. The Scriptures will no longer, at this time, as He begins to, to be on the scene, the Scriptures are no longer going to be hidden away in a Latin Mass where nobody understands them. Can you imagine sitting in this building and hearing somebody read Greek to you and you sit there and listening and calling that worship? They didn't even understand a word that was being said. And so this man comes along and he's going to make sure that using the printing press, he sits in a Vartburg castle to be spared being killed for about a year. And he translates all the Bible into German so that people who were German speaking could read it in their own language. Not hearing something they had no idea what was going on. Hocus pocus magic type stuff. So they're going to hear the Word of God in their own languages. They're going to understand it. So there's this radical outpouring of God's Word. And so the worship of God went from being, uh, the worship in the building went from being a house of theatrics to a house where the Word of God is on a pulpit being preached. It went from a table where the Lord, the the, uh, sacrament of the Lord's Supper was going to be where Jesus is, is sacrificed again and again and again to a place where there's a pulpit, a Bible on top of it, and they're going to hear the Word of God proclaiming that Jesus Christ's blood has been sacrificed one time and for all. No more need for a sacrifice. And how do I receive that? By faith in His blood alone. We're going to move from a house of theatrics. We're going to move from a house where blood is quote-unquote being shed over and over again to a place where finished blood is preached, salvation and faith in Jesus Christ is preached, forgiveness is preached. In the, in the uh, Roman Mass, you would hear people say, Hey, listen, venerate these things, these idols. You would hear, Hey, listen, you can buy your forgiveness with this much money. Over here in the pulpit, you're going to hear that Jesus Christ forgives sins by faith, 
by grace. It's a free gift. You don't pay to be forgiven of your sins. Wow, what a money-making deal that was. We can go into that later sometime. Tetzel would say that, say something like, you know, when, when, when your money goes into the coffers, out comes this forgiveness of sin. That's not how it works. And so the Word of God is set loose and it's no longer a house of... There's, there's, let me tell you something, folks. I have friends who are Roman Catholics, but if they, nobody can do theater as good as Roman Catholicism. Look at us. This is, a, this is real plain. This is real plain. But plain's really good when you get the truth. It goes from being a house of theater to a house where words are spoken. And Luther called the worship of God, the, the place where God is worshipped, a mouth house. This is a mouth house. The first, the Reformation we're talking about that we celebrate 506 years ago is not the first Reformation, though, in the, the sin we can find in the Bible. As we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see a similar Reformation taking place. And prior to Nehemiah chapter 8, now let me put you in history for a second. 445 B.C. is about the time that Nehemiah is writing. But before he wrote, we have the history of Judah and we have... Uh, Israel in 722 is completely overwhelmed by the Assyrians and they go out of existence. The northern kingdom never reappears. The southern kingdom is a little bit later. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene. He fights the battle of Carchemish and he overwhelms them. And then the next thing we see is deportation number one, 605 of some Jews. Then 597, more deportation. 586, finally Nebuchadnezzar gets tired of the king and he comes and he levels the walls of Jerusalem. He levels Solomon's temple. Nothing is left. They deport the people into Babylonian captivity. Why did this happen? There are prophets all along during those days saying, you are majoring on ceremony and not the heart and faith in God and His promises. You're majoring on doing these things and saying, hey, here's a temple. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord, they would say. Isn't this great? God will never, ever allow our kingdom to fall because He's never going to let His his temple fall. Oh, yeah? Man, we studied that on Sunday nights. God will even allow His ark to be taken by Philistines to prove, hey, listen, when the Philistines got the ark, who was in charge, God or the Philistines? Go study that passage. Who got the sores all over their bodies? But God is not going to bless the people if they're going to have their hearts somewhere else while they do all of these spiritual, quote, things. And so they are taken into captivity. And at this point, there's about 100 years in there. They're in 70 years of captivity. And then there's this really slow time where they're being brought back into the land. And then we see Nehemiah come out on the scene in 445. And his goal is to restore the security to the people by rebuilding the wall. And then the second part of his, his plan is meeting the spiritual needs of the people. And that's where we see Ezra step on the scene in this passage. Did you hear him? He stands behind a wooden podium with a scroll opened up that they rolled open. And he speaks to the people who are out there in the court. Probably behind his back is the gates of the, of the city and the walls are here. And so there's amplification. It sounds just like what we're doing right now. Doesn't it? And so here we have the preparation for the word preached. We have the proclamation of the word and we have the response 
to the Word. So let's look at the preparation for the Word. I want you to notice first the preparation of the preacher. And we could say the preparation of the preachers because we have Ezra. But did you notice when we were reading, there were Levites who were walking around and sharing and reading. So there's preacher and there's preachers. There's Ezra and there's Levites. During the Babylonian captivity, the people being removed from their land, remember what happened to Solomon's temple? It's gone. So these ministers, these priests became ministers of sacrament and word. Sacrament got put to the side and there's no place to offer sacrifices. So they became more ministers of scripture or word and they would have to wait for another uh, temple to be built later on. So here are people, these ministers, here are these scribes, and they are renewing their love for the Torah. They're renewing their love for the first five books of the law. And so what we see are men studying and loving the scriptures again. And we see, we don't know exactly all that I'm about to say. We don't know exactly how this works. But in this time of Babylonian captivity, people are hearing the word in different ways than before. Uh, We don't know if they had a pulpit or not. This is the first time we see a, a podium, a, we call a pulpit, in the Bible. There's, there's something of a synagogue, me- method of synagogue teaching and preaching starting to take place. Um, all these things are starting to take place during the captivity and after the captivity. And so this is going on and we will see Jesus one day in Luke chapter 4 opening up the scriptures, unrolling a, a scroll and reading from something like this as well. And we have it today. So Ezra the priest and the scribe is transformed from a performer of sacrifices to a preacher or teacher of Scripture. In Ezra 7.10, i got to be careful here. I've preached several sermons on Ezra 7.10, but it's really worth memorizing. It goes like this. This is Ezra's preparation. Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra did four things. He set his heart. That's a good way to prepare for worship. The second thing is he studied. After he set his heart, he studied the scriptures. The third thing he did is he practiced what he studied. He didn't walk around telling people what to do and not doing it himself. You know, he, he was not one of those guys who, who heard it all but never did it all. And then finally he would go and teach the people. This is his preparation. Probably the Levites, that was sort of close to what they did to prepare as well. Now, I want you to notice second, the preparation for the pulpit. Verse 4, it says, Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. Again, we don't know when podiums were first brought into the worship. But here's the first time a podium's mentioned in the Bible. It was built for this particular event. Ezra was accompanied by 13 men, probably influential leaders. You know, all those names I've read and probably botched a few of them. So there they are. This is a very prepared for event. And the governor, Nehemiah, is helping prepare all of this. And surely he had something to do with the the podium. And surely he had something to do with how it was arranged so that people could hear. The walls were behind the reader and the pulpits in front, the people were in the square, and all the amplification that could be had was prepared to be had. And then you have the third thing that we need to look at, and it's the preparation of the people. Did you, there's, there's enough here to sink a ship. 
Verse 1, all the people gathered as one man in the square. Men and women and all those who could listen with understanding. Verse 1 says the people came to Ezra. Listen to this. Are you getting this? The people came to Ezra and said, would you read the Bible to us? (laughs) Do you know how many times I've asked people, would you let me read the Bible to you? And you know how many times people said, not today. Not today. Would you let me do a Bible study? No, not today. These are people, these people are coming and asking the man, would you read the Bible to us? That's weird. That's not normal. And so they're recognizing God's words. They're recognizing they need to hear the foundational articles of their faith. They need to hear the five books of the law. And they're taking the initiative. They're acknowledging the authority of God. They ask and they assembled. And he opens a book. And this is what the people do. When, they op- when the book was open, they all stood up. Nobody told them to. They just did it. They just stood up. You know, in some churches, I'm not saying that we have to do this. But we could do this. In some churches, every time the Bible's read, the people stand up. They stood up. They assembled. They stood up. He prays. And while they're praying... All the people lifted up their hands while he's praying. Maybe his eyes are closed. All the people are lifting up their hands. What are they doing? We need to receive what you're about to read. We have hearts of humility. We need to receive what is about to be said to us. And then the people, when he said amen, they said amen. And then after that, they all bowed their faces to the ground. That's the people's preparation to hear the word. Verse 3 says, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The preacher is prepared. The preachers are prepared. Nehemiah has prepared a podium and and, and for all the layout to take place. And the people are prepared. Well, here's a question for us. Are you prepared to hear God's word when you come to church? Have you ever said, I need Ezra to open up the book of the law and read it to me? Are you coming and asking? Are you coming and being ready? Are you gathering together? Obviously, we we are here, aren't we? Are you standing when it's read? Are you lifting up your hearts when it's being prayed over? Are you saying, let it be, let it be, amen, amen. Are you saying, I need these words, Jesus says in Matthew 8, or Matthew, uh, he says in Matthew 7, or Matthew 4, sorry, my bad. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, I never believed that I would be preaching this, but I am going to share it with you. I actually, years ago, I went through a time where I was... um, (laughs) I was struggling in worship because the minister that was in front of me, he didn't preach the way I like to hear sermons preached. He didn't have as much passion. He didn't have as much force. He didn't apply the Word of God the way I liked it. And um, I, I thought to myself, i got to figure this out. I mean, we can all, oh, well, the preacher, he, he, maybe you don't like this. Maybe you, don't, maybe you think sometimes guys need to be a, bit, a little bit more smoother and maybe, you know, not so forceful and not so passionate. Maybe you need somebody, you know, we think this way. We, what, what do I need? And so well, where are you going to go if you're going to go find a Reformed church? This was my question. An hour away, 
<laughs> I want to hear the truth. I want to hear Westminster Confession. I want to hear shorter catechism. I want to hear Reformed. And so I thought, you know, I, I got to go figure this out. What am I going to do? Well, let me put it to you like this. Let's just say that, uh, think about your closest friends. Your closest friends, why, why are they your close friends? Well, let me tell you why they're your closest friends. Because uh, click, you click together. You got shared backgrounds. You got shared likes. You got shared dislikes. You might like to go fishing and hunting and bear hunting. I don't know which you. There's things you like to do, and you know they like to do the same thing. And man, we got around here the other day. We had all these men in here Saturday morning, and we missed a few others were here. And we're sitting around. Every one of these guys likes to talk about the Bible. That's one connection, buddy. And we're in here and we got these likes and dislikes and we're all getting along together. Well, what about a person who comes to our congregation? They're a visitor. They walk in here. We don't know them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all stick with me. What are we going to do? We see a visitor come in. We go over. We're going to say, hey, this is the right thing to do. What glorifies God? I'm going to go over. I'm going to introduce myself to the visitor. Why am I going to do it? Because it's right. Why am, why am I going to do it? Because it glorifies God. Why am I going to go over there and guess what? They're going to be a little awkward. They don't know me. I don't know them. It's going to be a little bit awkward. It's not going to be like talking to Brian who we click. I click with Brian and I click with Emil and I click with Matt and I click with Phil. I click with all these people here. But I, that, that person, I don't know them. But I'm going to go over and I'm going to do it because it's right. And I'm going to get to know them. And I'm going to hope as I visit with them, as I spend time with them, I'm going to hope for better relationship. It may stay weird all the time. It might not. It might get better. But what am I going to do? I'm going to do it because it glorifies God. Well, let's just think that through for a second. The same thing happens when you come to church and you have a minister and the minister, maybe he's too passionate. Maybe he's not passionate enough. You want what you like. But you're here to worship God. What are you going to do? What do you need to do? What's right? You need to glorify God and learn how to listen to the guy that God gave you. Right? This is what I was going through. What am I going to do? Well, let me tell you what you're going to do. Let me just read to you question 90. Shorter catechism. Lord, this is what I ask the Lord. How is the word of God to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? How? How am I supposed to hear it read and preached that it might become effectual to my salvation? Three parts. I won't read the answer. I'll just tell you what I learned. Part number one. Part number one. Prepare. You have to prepare to get ready for the worship of God where the Word of God is read and preached. You have to prepare. Well, when do I start? Tonight. When you go to bed tonight, when you pillow your head tonight, you say to God, Lord, help me listen to that guy who's maybe too passionate and I don't like listening to the way he preaches sometimes. Help me. Help me get ready for next week's worship. Help me. And so you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and you begin to read your Bible and you begin to pray. And you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for myself. Help me to get ready. Help me to lead my family and family worship. And then during the week, all during the week, you're preparing to get ready to hear the sermon on Sunday. You're getting ready for the whole worship service. And you're praying for that minister. Lord, help him as he reads. Help him as he thinks. Help him as he writes his sermon. And Lord, help him to, um, to preach Jesus Christ to me. And help me to get ready to have a heart of faith and love so that I'm ready to receive it. Here's number two. Here's number two. 
Receive the Word of God when it's read and preached with faith and love in your heart. You've prayed about it. Now you get yourself in the seat. You've done all the preparation. Now it's the time the service has started. And you're going, Lord, I'm expecting you to answer my prayers. I've been getting ready for this. I've been waiting on all week long for this. Lord, answer my prayers. And so you wait to see how God answers your prayers. And then here's the third thing you do. You sit after receiving with faith and love the word of God that's preached to you. You lay it up. Number three, you lay it up in your hearts and you practice it in your life, in your lives. This is what Spurgeon said. (laughs) I love this. Spurgeon wrote a book called Lectures to My Students. And he was relating a story about a great preacher in the 18th century named Roland Hill. And Roland Hill was close to death, and he was talking to a man who had heard him preach 65 years earlier. And this man was telling Roland Hill, he said, you know, I remember the first sermon you ever preached to me. He said, you remembered it? He says, yeah, do you remember the text? Do you remember what I said? He says, yes, I remember the text, and I remember part of the sermon. And the minister said, well, what part of the sermon do you remember? This is what the man said. Well, you said that some people... When they went to hear a sermon, were very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. Oh man, he, he kind of his his voice bothers me. The way he does bothers me. Just a little squeamish about the preacher. But but you went on and you said this. Suppose you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read. And you were expecting a legacy from him. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will. But you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you. And if so, how much? And that's the way to hear the gospel. That's what I remember you preaching 65 years ago. Well, that's worth remembering for 65 years. That's right. Listen to what's being preached. And as you listen to what's being preached, what's the Bible say? Psalm 119, what does it say about the Word of God? It talks about gold and silver, gold and silver pieces. What does it say about Jesus' treasure in the ground? Dig him out. What's it say about Jesus' pearl of great price? You walk away, you and I are to walk away, remembering we have a treasure. Well, what do you expect from this? Well, you're going to get Christ. All this preparation, all this prep, all this perceiving of God's word with heart, a heart of faith and love. What are you going to get? You're going to get Christ. In fact, you may find out that your preacher gets better. Mine got better. The Lord answers our prayers. Second, proclamation. Three things. Read, explain, apply. Reading the text. We've heard the text read today. Ezra verse, here's Ezra in verse 3, Nehemiah 8, 3. Ezra read from it. Verse 8, they, the Levites, read from the book. How long did they read from the book? From early in the morning until the afternoon. Wow. Maybe six hours. Explaining the text. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that certain Levites were, were explaining the text. Let me tell you what I think is happening here. We don't know exactly what's going on, but I think what's going on is this. Remember, they're being let loose out of uh, Babylonian captivity about 539. 
This is 445. These people have been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And more than likely, they grew up learning Aramaic and they were rusty on their Hebrew. And so they're reading the text out of Hebrew. And these men are walking around among the people and explaining the Hebrew to them in Aramaic terminology. And so they're maybe translating and they're doing some exposition. I mean, one time I heard a a missionary who was trying to explain snow to people who've never seen snow. And so he talked about cowbirds that are really, really white. Wash you as white as snow, as white as the cowbird's feathers, trying to get the point across. I don't know exactly what's going on here, but they're translating Hebrew into Aramaic and giving some exposition so the people could grasp the scriptures. And so then we also have not only reading and explaining, but we have application. They're explaining so that people can apply the word to themselves. Martin Luther condemned ministers who regularly talked over the heads of the uneducated. He condemned ministers who talked over the heads of the young people and over the heads of the servants and only talked to the magistrate and only talked to the doctors in theology. He told them not he told them that our job in the pulpit is not to impress the doctors in theology, not to impress the people, the big educated folks, but to teach the people every single one. He said this, if the educated sirs are not impressed, the door is open, let them be gone. That sounds like Luther. You know, uh, there's a guy named Richard Feynman. He was one of the he was the youngest guy on the the preparation of the atomic bomb and this is what he said to people who were under him when he was training them he said if you want to make sure that you've grasped anything sit a 12 year old down in front of you and explain it to a 12 year old no matter how intricate it is until you can explain it to a 12 year old you're not you don't understand it this is what we're trying to do here i'm not trying to preach to the most magnificent mind in the world we just need Things explained to us so we understand them. Read the text. Explain the text. Apply the text. And this is what Ezra's doing. This is what the Levites are doing. And people are beginning to understand it. You know, many times once the text is read, it clearly explains itself. Who doesn't understand love God and love your neighbor? That's pretty clear. Mark Twain said this. It's not the text of Scripture that I cannot understand that give me a trouble. But the text of Scripture that give me trouble are the ones I do understand. Now, this text in front of us, Nehemiah chapter 8, it takes a little unraveling. We want to know the year. And we want to know a little history. and we, So we get a guy. We, we, uh, we call a man to do this. We call a man the preacher to do this. But the whole reason that we're doing this The whole reason for the proclamation of the word of God is so that you and so that I can have a direct confrontation with God and with his word. God's word comes to us. It tells us what we are to believe. It tells us how we are to behave. It is something that's going to either encourage us in the way that we are going. It's going to show us that we're walking the way of righteousness. It's going to show us that we're doing what God wants us to do or it's going to correct us. We're going to be discouraged from this path. We're going to be encouraged to go to a different way. But this one or the other. 
And God's word is coming to us, it's confronting us, and we have a decision to make. And the decision is, yes, I will do what God says, and I will believe what he says, or no, I will not believe it, and I will not do it. It's real clear, isn't it? I think sometimes we get all carried away. Let me, let me, give, you some, let me give you just a little, little uh, you know, experiment. You want to really know whether you're walking with God, just, just start obeying all those little things you think are silly. Just do those things. Just obey. Just clean up the way you talk to your wife. Clean up the way you talk to your husband. Clean up the way you talk to your kids. Kids, clean up the way you, those little disrespectful things you let. Just clean those things up. See what happens in your life. <laughs> See what happens. It's not the big old things, it's those little things. And then those things begin to grow and we begin to know the presence of God and His Spirit work in our lives. Last thing here, respond to the Word. Patience. How long did they read the Bible? Six hours. Could you take that? <laughs> Could you take six hours? Conviction. Verse 9, did you, did you remember when we read this, there was a lot of weeping there at the end. We really don't have that explained to us. But as they have the Word of God read to them, the tears are flowing out of their eyes. And sometimes when we hear the Word of God preached, we're encouraged. And we may be crying tears of joy, and sometimes we may be crying tears of conviction. And so these people, they're, they're weeping. And we don't really have uh, a great deal told to us about what's going on here. But Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites had to tell them in verses 9 and 10, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions to the persons who have nothing. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There was joy. And so the people are weeping. Now, if you'll look at your chapter 9, you're going to see it says the people confess their sin. This is just the beginning. <laughs> but he's trying to say, you need to be overjoyed that you wanted us to, me to read. You need to be overjoyed. You're under conviction. And the same Lord that brings conviction of sin also brings joy over the forgiveness of your sin. What's our response? You know, I'm always, uh, I could write a book on all the stuff I've had to go through about learning how to be a preacher. <laughs> From preaching an hour long to preaching 35 minutes. I watch it. I know how to preach an hour and I know how to preach 35 minutes. You've been sitting here for about 40 minutes, not six hours. Thank you for your patience. And what are we doing here but having the Word of God come confront us? And every one of us has a decision to make. We either receive it or we, we reject it. Two decisions only. Have you ever thought about what it says in the sermon about the, the, uh, the uh, parable of the sower? There's four soils. There's four hearts. There's only two ways they receive or reject it. Hard hearts, reject. Rocky soil, impulsively receive and then fall away. Cluttered hearts, thorny hearts, chokes it out. All rejection. The last heart's a good heart, receives the word. Uh, it begins to, to bear fruit in that good soil. 
But there's something that's said at the very end of the parable in Mark 4, 24 through 25. It says this, and I'm going to boil it all down into this one sentence. If you receive God's word, then you will be given even more from God's word. If you reject God's word, then what you have will be taken away. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. If you receive God's word, then you will be given more. If you reject God's word, then what you have will be taken away. That is terrifying. What are you going to do with God's word? It's been read. It's been preached. It's been sung. It began the service. It ends the service. What are you going to do with God's word? I'm going to give you the most frightening illustration of this that I can think of. Herod Antipas. Now, you know, Herod the Great was the one who was alive when Jesus was born. He had three sons. Herod the Great had three sons. Herod, I mean, Antipas and Philip and Archelaus. And they all had their own, each one their own little tetrarchy. And Herod Antipas loved John the Baptist when he came on the scene. He loved him. He loved listening to him. He did many things and he took care of him. He knew he was a righteous and a holy man. He took care of him. And then one day John the Baptist had the audacity to say, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. (laughs) Well, he didn't kill him, but he put him in prison. He still listened to him. But we all know that Herodias, Philip's wife, didn't really like that, bore a grudge against him until she finally had John the Baptist's head cut off and put on a platter. The principle is at work. Sounds really terrible, doesn't it? John can't speak any more words for God because he's dead. The principle is at work. No more words of God from John to Herod Antipas. But that's not the worst of the story. Pilate, before Jesus died, he delivered... Jesus over to Herod. And so Herod Antipas has Jesus right in front of him. And he says, I want you to show me a sign. And I want you to answer my questions. And you know what Jesus said? Not a word to him. Jesus said, not a word to Herod Antipas. Now, you know what I want to say? I want to say, Jesus, where's the evangelistic Jesus? Jesus, aren't you supposed to say, come to me? Aren't you just supposed to say, I'm the bread, I'm the way, I'm the light? Jesus didn't say a word. Jesus spoke to him, not a word. The principle is at work. He did not receive. He did not repent. He's heard John the Baptist over and over and over. He's heard about Jesus over and over and over. He will not receive it. And now Jesus speaks to him, not a word. The reality that we face every time we come to church, it's a dangerous place to come here because if we choose not to receive, if we choose not to obey, if we choose not to do what we hear, there could come a time where Jesus chooses not to speak a word to us. What am I doing with this blood? What am I doing with this Jesus? What am I doing with this cross that's preached to me? There could come a time when there's no more words spoken to us. But you know what Jesus did with his disciples? <laughs> he took them aside and he talked to them. And he explained parables to them whether they asked him to or not. Sometimes they asked him and he told them. And sometimes he says, now I'm going to tell you what I just talked to you about. 
He took his disciples aside and he explained to them and talked to them and he gave them the truth and they kept taking it in. And the kingdom of God is all about listening and it's all about receiving and it's all about obeying God's word to the glory of God. These words can never be taken away from us when we receive them from Jesus. Never. This sermon is about the Word of God. Receive it, obey it, and live according to it, to God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to be in your house and worship you. Lord, we thank you that this is not a house of theatrics, but it's a house of words. It's a mouth house. It's a place that's governed by your words, under your words. Lord, where we sing your words, read your words, live according to your words. Lord, correct us by your words and drive us into obedient paths by your words. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who is with us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's working these words and truths in us. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified in our lives as we seek to walk according to the words of our Lord Jesus. Teach us more. Teach us these words that we will never forget. We'll praise you for it. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.